everyone. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 536 being recorded on Wednesday, March 13th, 2019. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrus. I'm Sebastian Peake. And we're glad you're, you're with us. And, and if you're an on-demand listener, it's not been that long since the last show. Uh, that's because we had a little bit of a an issue with the last podcast. Um, we recorded a day late just due to some travel issues. So it was already kind of delayed. And then I went to edit it. And I apologize if you can hear some meowing in the background. My wife forgot to close the basement door again. And one of the cats is again attacking my leg. Um, apologize for the wincing. But, um, or was I? Oh, yeah. So we re- we recorded the show. I went to go edit it uh, on my Mac because that's how I roll. And we store all of our videos in, or I, I, I edit in Final Cut. I store the videos on a Promise Pegasus Thunderbolt Raid Array. I've been doing it for a long time now, even for other projects besides this. And I edited the podcast as normal, went to export it, and it crashed on the export. And all the, the rendered file and the project file was corrupted. But I keep backups, so no problem. Restored to the backup, did it again, same thing happened i think one more time after that and then at that point i was getting frustrated so i said i'm just gonna pull all this out gonna go to premiere and and just do an edit in premiere and uh at that point the array started throwing up errors it's supposed to it has a little utility that runs it's supposed to talk about or remind you of data integrity it started throwing up errors i couldn't access other data on the array and then right right in front of me it all just kind of failed so it it was like dying as i was doing this uh, unbeknownst to me and then it just kind of crapped out entirely uh, but thankfully, uh, I was able to run some data recovery uh, software. Promise has some data recovery utilities. Uh, I was able to get it all pulled off to a network array. It took like 30 hours to do the verification and all that. And then I had to restore everything. But that ba- that that restore was everything up to the edit. So then I re-edited the whole thing and then republished it or published it, I guess, for the first time. So it, it didn't go up until like Monday morning. It was a fun weekend. So it was kind of like a toddler Right. You know, you're you kids running around. He's looking fine. And then he looks at you and says, my throat hurts. And then he just throws up everywhere. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yep. If you've ever had kids, you you probably realize that, Dad, I don't feel good. Then there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Duck and cover. Or when they don't even give you any kind of warning at all. And it just happens all over themselves. They just make eye contact, out. open their mouth and. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, but the, you know, yeah. I, I don't know about your kids. Uh, mine is pretty resilient when it comes to that, though, because he can puke his guts out and be fine, ready to roll. Let's go get that ice cream, Dad. Come on. So he's going to have info. a great time in college. Well, that's yes, what I was thinking. Yes, you know, I, was, I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is not boding well for his future if he's resilient in that way." But I got uh, the cast iron stomach. Making some room. Mm-hmm. But we're glad you're with us, and uh, we're back this week. It's it's a lighter week, both because of the delay uh, on the initial recording of last week and just not having any major products launched thus far this week. Uh, so we we do have a, a couple reviews, and uh, we have one review we're going to go to uh, in, in post right now. We can't talk about it just yet, so if you're listening on demand, you're going to hear a review right now, and then uh, we'll, we'll be back after that. But if you're live with us, we're going to jump straight to the second review. And as we alluded to, uh, what we want to talk about first here is uh, a new graphics card. Uh, you may have heard it uh, heard it rumored. Uh, we, we've had some some rumblings that this was coming, and sure enough, it's true. The NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1660, not TI, just 1660, 
it's here. It's real. Sebastian's got a couple cards to talk about with us. Uh, so why don't you take it over there, Sebastian? Thanks, Jim. You know, it's deja vu all over again here at the PC Perspective offices as cards from EVGA and MSI made their way here. And this is, at on the face of it, this is kind of like the, the 1660 Ti launch all over again, if you look at our review of, of that card. And... But when you look a little bit closer, even though this is based on the same TU-116 GPU and slightly cut down, like this has two SMs disabled, so you're you're down a total of 128 CUDA cores with the non-TI version of the GTX 1660. But the big difference is that though it's still a 6 gigabyte card, and this is another one of those add-in board-only launches where it's just partner cards, there's no reference card, uh, it's GDDR5 memory instead of GDDR6. So the memory bandwidth is actually the memory bandwidth and the, the total amount of VRAM is the same as the GTX uh, 1060 6 gigabyte. So the advantage of this over a 1060 is going to be significantly lessened compared to what we saw, those huge gains we saw with the 1660 Ti which was up to 50% faster than a 1060. So I think NVIDIA's number on this was about 15% faster than a 1060. It's being launched at $219. So for if you're looking for a reference, like the, the 249 was the launch price of the 1060 3 gigabyte model and 299 was the launch of the 6 gigabyte model. So here we are, you know, almost two years later, and we have a card that has better performance than a 1060, costs less at launch, although 1060s have been selling for, you know, for the 6 gigabyte model, which has always been a lot, a lot more expensive, still around 219 to 229. And I imagine that as the channel kind of dries up with Pascal cards, that eventually this will just straight up replace the 1060 as far as, the, the price point and it's we kind of thought like i thought when the 1660 ti launched like this is kind of the drop-in replacement for the 1060 well really the non-ti version is it right down to the same memory interface uh you know similar pricing to what we're currently seeing those cards sell for like i just said so um i don't know How, what do you guys think about a theoretical we'll get into performance in a moment but a theoretical 15ish percent average bump in performance this far down the road for a card that is just going to kind of drop in and replace a 1060 as the supply of pascal cards just kind of dries up i think it's a positive development i mean it's not you know it's it's not a super home run uh, I mean, we talked about pretty extensively about the price point of the 1660 Ti. And even though you don't get the RTX features, it still is, you know, pretty good price for what you get in terms of performance. There's a new card, and this is just another example of, of um, you know, slowly the pressure of, of pushing performance down uh, to these price points is is a nice change. Um they kind of had to do something because I think AMD really, uh, even though they don't sell as many cards, uh, they put a lot of pressure on them with the the, R, uh, the RX 580 and especially the RX 570. I mean, 
I saw one on sale for the eight gig version for 139 and it comes with two free games. I mean, that's just, that's really, really hard to beat, but you know, NVIDIA still is using their, their slightly better position. Well, not slightly better, but significantly better market position to be able to still make a little bit more money. Um, you know, they got the reputation of having better drivers, even though that has, has really dissipated uh, as an, as a positive for them over the past couple of years, AMD has done a lot better job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we, we needed some more new blood in this area. Sure. It's not RTX, but it's another option that is, uh, you know, a little bit more cost effective. Yeah. Our RTX at this price point makes zero sense. Just as it's debatable, mm. even at the 349 price point with the 2060. So that point, it's just like, a DLSS or bust kind of a thing. And then of course we can go down the rabbit hole of like DLSS at this point, early days, image quality concerns, all that kind of stuff that have come up. So it's, it's not the most popular topic. And I think that it was, do you find like this? Now we have two GTX cards that have launched. And I think it was, it made sense when we saw the 1660 launch as a TI that we would see the non TI kind of that vanilla card to fill a, a missing part of the segment as the the 1060 leaves, but GTX cards, they're back. We went to RTX, we're back to GTX for mainstream, which I don't know if that was your strategy all along. I assume that there was going to be a non-ray traced card regardless of how well the RTX cards sold or what the adoption of like the 2060 was going to be. But we just look at price points, like Josh is saying, this this fills in a position in the product stack. Like they're working from the top down and they started high with the 699, uh, 2080 and the 2070 sits at around $500. If you can find one for the MSRP and then the 2060 comes out at 349. And then you had kind of a void that was being filled with remnants of Pascal, which then you had the 1660 TI comes out, which, is about a 1070 as far as a level of performance. And this comes out, which is just a bit below that. And if you're looking at performance numbers, this is faster than like from AMD, like the RX 590. And actually our, our sample of the 590, the XFX fat boy is an overclocked, a factory overclocked 590. So a little bit better still, but this consistently was above the 590 and at least in 1080p testing was above the older GTX 980 Ti. So you're thinking about a card that two years later is beating out a 980 Ti. That's pretty impressive, especially for all those people who are either on a 900 series card or maybe even on a 700 series card. Thinking about upgrading, say you're on a 780, this $219 card is going to give you better performance than a 980 Ti, at least at 1080p. So, and double the amount of memory. Yeah, actually, the 980 Ti. Four? No, that's four. No, it was six it was wasn't six. it? It was six. Yeah, six, it was yeah. Six. But I'm talking about the 780. 780 was three gigs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the big thing. Yeah, if you're on a six or seven hundred series card, then this gets you way more VRAM and better performance than all but the very highest end, like the 980 Ti, will beat this at when I was doing 1440p high game tests it did not always come out on top it was neck and neck with the 980 ti for the most part but 
I mean, if we just look at gains over the 1066 gigabyte, which is the obvious, um, this is the obvious successor to that card. The worst case scenario is Ashes of Singularity, everybody's favorite uh, GPU benchmark, where it was only about a 2.5% increase over the GTX 1066 gigabyte. And this, that was kind of an outlier because then I saw like the gains went up to 17% with Far Cry 5 and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, 23%, uh, kind of mid 20s, like 27% with uh, going back down to older like DX11 titles like F1 2018. So the average of about 15% is fair. Uh, it might be a little bit higher than that at 1080, at least under the settings, the the way that I tested the games. But uh, moving up to 1440, it was kind of the same thing. What was interesting, though, because I did all the stock testing with the EVGA card. And EVGA once again sent one of their compact but triple slot cards, the XC Black, which is a totally stock card. Uh, and stock for this is a boost clock of, I believe it's 1,785 megahertz. MSI sent, once again, their Gaming X card, which is their highest end version. And the Gaming X is factory overclocked by about se- it's 75 megahertz. And so that provides an 1,860 megahertz boost. But whereas the EVGA card has a, a locked power limit of 100%, the MSI card has a power limit of 107%. The reason this matters is just as I found that the GTX 1660 Ti overclocked very well, the 1660 overclocks very, very well. It seemed like there's just a little bit more headroom, at least with my samples. And I had fun overclocking this MSR Gaming X card, which has a custom PCB, uh, beefier power delivery, that 107% power limit to play with. And I was able to actually exceed the performance of a 1660 Ti with this card and not just any 1660 Ti, the higher end MSI Gaming X 1660 Ti, which is factory overclocked. So depending on the game, it was either neck and neck with, or even exceeding the performance of that 1660 Ti when overclocked. The settings that I used are in the review. I think it was a plus 150 megahertz core clock and uh, like 400 megahertz overclock on the memory. And you, you were not going to be able to overclock the memory on these cards as far uh, and as easily as I could with the uh, TI because GDDR6 just seems to really overclock well. Mm-hmm. Like pushing in an extra gigahertz seems no problem. And I had it up to 14 gigabit per second to, to match the uh, 2060 easily. This is a different story where you're, you're never going to hit anywhere near the memory bandwidth numbers we see with the TI or with the RX or the RTX 2060. So still, I mean, the the MSI card in the review, $249 is going to be kind of on the high end of a vanilla 1660, but tremendous overclocking potential with the card. So I think that that kind of changes the story a lot where I'm not that enthusiastic talking about, well, it kind of drops in as a replacement to the 1060. And it's, yeah, it's a little bit less money, a little bit better performance then you can just overclock the snot out of this TU116 GPU. It seems to just be made for it where maybe the performance is kind of artificially limited. Like even the stock EVGA card easily hits much higher clocks. It'll sustain 
because of that power limit, the sustained boost speeds drop below two gigahertz. But with the MSI card, they're always above two gigahertz. So, uh, and if you if you look at the charts on the uh, overclocked results page, you see it jumping up like two and even three positions up on the chart. Like it's just significant performance improvement for free if you buy a card that is designed to be overclocked like this MSI card is. So. I don't know. Does that change the equation for you? Like when you're at 249, that's obviously just $30 away from moving up to a vanilla 1660 Ti at 279. But it does seem to sort of maintain that segmentation where you have, you know, here's the card for $30 more. It's this level of performance and you can overclock it. And then for $30 more than that, you're moving up to the next card in the stack. So at least down here with these 1660 series cards, they have it nicely spaced out. Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to go for an overclocked 1660 Ti, then again, you're going to be paying about 30 or $40 extra on top of the MSRP for a, a basic model. So it, it is a really nice segmentation for those that, you know, they just either don't have or don't want to invest, you know, 350 bucks, $500 in a, into a brand new GPU, but... They've got one that's, you know, it's getting old and noisy. It's getting old and dying. There's a couple of uh, new inputs that they'd much rather have on some of these models than they've got on like an old 970 or something. So, yeah, all of a sudden at $220, you are able to pick something up. And if you're willing to put a bit of work into it, you can push it up to about the performance of something you'd pay $280 for, which, you know, used to be the way you did things. It's kind of fun. And it's a good thing that uh, DDR4 is so expensive, so we're not going to see a DDR4 model of this card competing with it like we used to back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, when there was always the DDR3, like the cheaper versions of cards. Yeah. And uh, on the the last page of the review, you can see actually the result just using OC Scanner, using EVGA's Precision X1 tool with, with their totally bone stock card. The the resulting score was plus 143. And while uh, GPU clocks go in 15 megahertz increments, so I would be on the safe side, I would do like a plus 135 there on the core of that card. That's still a very healthy overclock, like 135 megahertz for free uh, and a cooler that can sustain it because this EVJ cooler is very thick and wasn't even loud. Like that was another thing. These cards, at least... These partner cards, uh, both very quiet, like 35-ish, 34, 35 decibels under load. Uh, the MSI card has a zero RPM fan, so you can't even hear it when it's at idle. So as we saw with the 1660 Ti, and a lot of this obviously is going to depend on the board partner, how they designed the card, what they decided to put into it, what kind of power limit is there, and that sort of thing. But one interesting thing I didn't mention, though, even though this is a very low power draw gpu like lower power draw than a 1060 the lowest two results on the the chart uh still has an eight pin power connector as a requirement it's like all of the power is coming from pcie it's like they're not using slot power at all i'm not sure hmm. but it, hey it, it well, why bother making six pin connectors anymore you know, yeah. everything's using an 8-pin. Why put a second process out there to attach a 6-pin to it? 
I know there were some complaints when the 1660 Ti launched, and I had somebody uh, asking me about that requirement and how it wasn't truly a mainstream card because it still required an 8-pin, and there are going to be problems with people with older power supplies. I will say that even the 25 to 30-ish dollar EVGA power supply I always end up buying for somebody's like budget build when I'm helping somebody out or building a computer. That's You don't have a pair of 6 plus multiple- 2s. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't yeah. know of any modern power supply that does not have an 8-pin anymore, even if it's only, like, a 400-watt power supply. So, uh, But this thing, like, my total draw from the wall under load uh, was, like, 182 to 186 watts. And that's a system with a Core i7-8700K mm-hmm. and, you know, 16 gigs of overclocked RAM. And so it's... This is... You have a, a lot... Yeah, it sips power. It's 120 watt TDP, but you can exceed that when you overclock. I mean, I got this way up into the 200s. I, I need to add that to the review, what my total draw was under the uh, heaviest overclock. But mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, it, it like Josh said, it, it, uh, it fills a spot in the product stack. It's, it's logical, like I said, with the 1660 Ti launch. I think it gets a lot more interesting when you overclock. And they had mentioned to us that the TU-116 was going to be really overclocking friendly, and it certainly is. So it seems like they could have pushed more out of this uh, than the 1785 default boost clock. But, you know, that's up to board partners. And I'm sure most of the cards we will see will be overclocked to some extent, whether they charge more for it or not. Any... uh, Final thoughts about this uh, new GPU. Are the cards that you reviewed, the are they available day one? Shipping to consumers? Should be, yeah. If it follows the 1660 Ti launch, I had live links later that morning. So it wasn't immediate. Mm. And by the time you're hearing this or watching this, uh, they're likely already out there and product links for these will be on the review. So I... I, I was not told anything other than these would be available immediately. All right. Cool. Moving along. So uh, we're back after that and back on with the show. And uh, we have a review of the Corsair Crystal Series 680X. It's an RGB case. Uh, Sebastian took a look at it for us. And uh, uh, why don't you uh, you tell us about, about this really nice looking case here? Well, it is very big and heavy. And it's sitting right over here, and I, I'm contemplating bringing it over to the desk with me. But this is right off the bat. I will say one uh, in the last five years, it is one of the most expensive cases that we've reviewed here. So if you just accept that at the outset, this is this is a two hundred and fifty dollar enclosure, which is you know kind of ridiculous. But if you accept this as a very very high end premium thing, and then move on from there, uh, this has outstanding build quality, really intelligent design, just things like the way that it looks aside, because tastes vary, of course. I I was really into the styling where it has the the glass on the front, the top, the one side panel. The Crystal series from Corsair is all about glass, so tempered glass everywhere. This is very lightly tinted glass, almost clear, so it has a little bit more of a fresh appearance than some of the previous cases. I've reviewed the Crystal Series 570X and 460X and 280X in the past. This is actually closest to that 280X, which is a dual chamber 
micro ATX case. This is a full ATX and EATX case. Still a dual chamber design. If you remember way back to 2013, Corsair had the Air 540, which was similarly sized to this in a big dual chamber case. And what that means is there's basically a full ATX enclosure on one side, and then the power supply, storage, and all of your cable management and stuff is behind that in a second chamber that's only a little bit smaller. So you have a tremendous amount of room for your build and it's just cavernous. So you can, like my build with a standard ATX motherboard left more than half the case empty. Like it felt like the case was almost unfinished. Like my build almost felt unfinished, but I'm like, that's it. I mean, I had, you have so much room for cable management in a case like this that it's kind of staggering. But all that aside, like the, the RGB nature of this, it's three RGB fans that come shipped with it. There is an RGB controller uh, built into the back of it. Various Corsair IQ enabled devices can all be synchronized with this. So literally like your keyboard and mouse uh, on your desk could be synchronized with the case fans. And these are not just like your standard lit up case fans where there's like a, a lighting element to make them all one color. Like that 280X that we reviewed, there are, I believe it's 16 lighting elements inside of each fan that are all individually addressable. So you can go nuts with customization of the lighting zones and patterns and all that sort of thing if you want to using the software. I didn't get too far into that. I played around with that a little bit with 280X last year. But in the end, uh, I didn't find anything to fault the case other than the price. So it's just one of those things. Like if you've got $250 to spend on a case, it comes in a white, which is white inside as well as outside or a black enclosure. And the two things you need are, are the budget for this and the space because it occupies a, a lot of space. So if it's down below the desk, that's probably less of an issue, but I don't know why you'd spend this much on a case with these kind of aesthetics. If you were putting it down and out of sight, but, and, if you're watching the video, you're seeing some charts as far as the performance of the case. And this is something that for the last five years, I've been comparing groups of cases against each other. I've been out of the case review game for a little while now and getting back into it with a new test platform. I don't have that comparative data. So you can just see kind of for your reference that very, very quiet at idle. Uh, 32.4 decibels is very quiet. It was barely above room noise. And then I was using a fairly quiet build in this, so it didn't really get very loud. The loudest number was around 34 decibels with the CPU fan. But your the the front cases, uh, the front case fans are only spinning around 500 RPM. So very quiet uh, throughout my testing, just with standard fan profiles with the Gigabyte motherboard I was using. So, so where your your, uh, R, your your insulation R ratings were were getting lower than what you wanted them to be. So you started doing cases again. I, I have, (laughs) it's, it's alarming how many cases I have. And I'm thinking about all the cases that like we gave away in past contests or I was finally just like asking anybody I knew, like, do you need a case? Are you building a computer? Are you considered upgrading the case that you have and gave cases out to family members and stuff. And I think I probably still have an alarming number that's, like 40 or 50 cases probably that Good line Lord. my attic. So yeah, I, I have blocked out of my mind. I honestly cannot tell you how many cases I reviewed 
in a four-year span, but it was quite a few. But of those, this is one of the better ones that I've reviewed. They, they did little things right, like the, the gaps that you absolutely have to have when you're using tempered glass. They, there are sufficient air gaps for good airflow. They use really quiet front fans, which can be problematic, especially when you don't have enough of a gap and they can spin really loud and kind of get choked out. And none of that was a problem. They did kind of some clever things with filters. Yeah. Or the magnetic. Nice. Yes. Not only that, it's actually, I should have mentioned this. The the filters are magnetic, but they attach to removable fan brackets. The front bracket comes out with two captured thumb screws. The top bracket comes out with two captured thumb screws. And when you pull the bracket out, the filter is just magnetically attached. You just kind of peel it off rinse it off or vacuum it out and then pop it back in. And the, the brackets went in with all the fans and everything attached far more easily than I thought they were going to. So, so you don't have to half crawl into the case to try and install that fan with the, the dampening material. No, that's no. not a bad idea at all. Yeah. It, they, they did some clever things. Like you'd have to actually handle the case yourself. Uh, I have some close up pictures so you can kind of see, but some of the, the touches, like the way the fan screens, like the filters go into the bracket where it's flush with the top of the bracket. So the whole thing goes in and there's absolutely no like play and everything is, it's, I think there's, there, there was enough in the way of, of vibration reduction and that sort of thing to help keep it as quiet as it was like hard drives all have rubber mounts against the sides of them when you put them into the tool free trays and all that sort of thing. So you're, you're definitely getting, a lot of quality and a lot of uh, little details, but again, you're you're paying a very steep premium for all of that. Like there are plenty of really really great cases in the hundred to one hundred fifty dollar range, and a Some lot of, them of people have optical I'm drives. Sh- oh, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, you have to be over optical drives at this point. A lot of these premium cases come out, and no. it's just like a blank front panel. No, I'm 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 in the camp where I still find it valid to have optical drives and i know people who will not use a case that doesn't have five and a quarter inch drive base like, I, God, just I still haven't right even here. i haven't even ripped like um 95 of the cds i own i'm so lazy gotta have but the do optical you have, drive you do have the optical drive i got two yeah okay who, you're supposed who's to here? one in each so you do you have optical drives in your current build jeremy Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, but I use an external Blu-ray drive for everything. But yeah, I, I put. Uh, I have two of them in there uh, because I was thinking, and I still do. I rip a lot of media, especially the UHD Blu-ray discs. Once that finally got cracked, I had a whole stack of those, and I I went with a. Not that we condone no, this behavior. No, I no. own the discs. I have them. As you um, mentioned earlier, he likes backups. Well, that's it's true. Just yeah. Backup. Yes. I'm not letting my son touch those $30 or $40 a piece discs, but uh, the, the, uh, the issue I faced is, I, so I went with a bigger case. I went with a Fantex, uh, I think it was Enthu Lux, big tower case. It had like four or four, five and a quarter bays, and I put my two uh, uh, Blu-ray drives in there, and I'm finding I'm regretting it because I did use those optical drives for a while, and I still will use them in the future, but I don't use them every day. I maybe use them once a month, and so if I could have had, and I have this giant case here and before the show started we were i was having usb problems and i'm trying to like check my usb connections and i gotta move this giant heavy thing around if i could have gone for a smaller case 
and just use an external when I needed it, I, I would have done that in hindsight. So I, I love optical media. I don't think it's dead, but I, we just, I think even most of the most ardent optical defenders don't use it as frequently as they used to. So there, there is a, a point to going for something smaller and going external when you need it. Yeah, but I I got rid of my three and a half inch drive in like 2007. Right. The floppy. Yeah, and you can still get an external one if you ever needed it. Well, you know what's in reach, of course. There you go. Is that you a gotta, Microsoft floppy disk? Turn it around. I want to see what the label said. <laughs> Mavis Beacon. Uh, it's an old SIS oh. video card. I <laughs> bet oh, you put a BIOS on it. Okay. I did. I did. I was. Uh, I flashed. You don't even want to know the crap that I have in here, including. Oh my gosh. Okay. This. My wife listeners. must have put this in here. Hanson? Oh, no. It's a single. It's single? Oh. I don't know. I have no idea where that came from. Jim, uh, no. that needs to be uh, like bleeped out and obscured on the video. <laughs> yeah. We are a family show. Yeah, um, that's. You shouldn't show. You shouldn't pull something that. like that out and show it on the video stream. <laughs> no. But I also wanted to say, too, with this case, and I haven't gotten to see it in person, but just going off Sebastian's well, you, amazing photography. You, yes. you just go ahead and keep talking while I uh, I grab it. Okay. Um, the, the issue was I, I had an Air 540, and I loved that case. And I love these dual chamber cases because I suck at cable management. Like, the only times I've ever done really nice cable management is when I planned out in advance the lengths I needed and went to... Uh, cable mod and ordered the exact lengths and all that. When I have standard cables, I just can't do good management. And so I had the Air 540. I I used it for a long time. The look got dated. Some of the features got dated. Uh, and the Air 740 was it their successor to that that came out a couple years ago? Just didn't look good. It just had a, it had like sort of that a curved aggressive slot look to it and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but this looks this looks pretty slick. And, Leave and it to the Mac that looks like a mini about. fridge. Leave it to the Macintosh owner, Jim, to talk about aesthetics yeah. with cases. But yes, this is uh, two systems in there. Yeah, it's it's literally the size of some of those cases we've seen where there's like a mini ITX board on one side and an ATX build on the other side. But I mean. It's once you get it where you want it, and I would not advocate like moving it around, but it's got a nice hinge <laughs> door. Oh, that is a nice hinge. Wow, that just pops right out. Well, that's well done. You you put a single screw. Enough. I forgot to put back in to keep the door on. Otherwise, it just slips right off. So that made like building in the case a lot easier because I could just like literally like, throw the door off to the side. I'm getting yeah, a serious is the key uh, with tempered glass. I'm getting a serious home shopping network vibe here. Yeah. This, yeah this, it, uh, can you stroke it for us, please? Yeah. Now we we've got twelve left, folks, and if you want there that Easy go. Pay, you got to call now. Just five payments on Easy Pay. It's so easy to own. Free shipping, of course, and uh, if you put it on your QVC credit card, then uh, you get uh, ten dollars off your next purchase at QVC. And a ShamWow to keep it shiny. Dude, that really like looks like a, a wine cooler, uh, not a yeah. wine, but you know, one of those wine refrigerators. And I will say, like filters nuts. everywhere, like it's always magnetic. Wherever this is the intake for the uh, power supply, so anywhere that you have a filter, 
I'll just take the side panel off here. The only standard steel side panel is, of course, the back one. And then you just have a ridiculous amount of room. Look how deep this rear chamber is. Like, Yeah, it's... I got a five-liter reservoir in the back of my system. <laughs> and you've definitely got mounting for it if you wanted to do that. Does, so. the, does the front glass come off? I don't think so. No, I didn't see a way to get it off. They have okay. it. You'd have to disassemble the front of the case to get it out of there. But like I said, air gaps and stuff with this are very good. There's lots of air intake, even if you can't take the panel out. And then, of course, the front um, filter is accessed from the inside by taking the fans out, which come out with a couple of thumb screws, which, of course, now everything's falling apart. This is live TV, folks. Or if you're listening, none of this makes any sense at all. And why am I doing this? But anyhow, we don't have to talk about this case all night, but I wanted to show it since it was right. Ugh. So heavy. I'm just waiting for the crash. You buy hernia belts. Oh, yeah. I probably could use an upgrade on my main computer. I've only had this one for eight years. One of the Corsair Obsidian 750Ds, I think. That's a classic. Still a good case. Yeah. 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 Suits my needs. Mostly. Mostly. Anyway. All right. Well, any other comments on that uh, that case? (laughs) Nope. All right. No. Uh, I think that kid could fit in it, but apart from that. So that's the (sighs) Corsair Crystal Series 680X. Is it shipping now, Sebastian? It is. It's on Corsair's website, and I'll have to check around to see if it's... I'm sure it's already on Amazon anyway. All right. I'll have to update yeah, so product links on the on this review. A nice case, but pricey. $250 MSRP. Yes. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, some interesting news. There was a, a, a bit of a surprise uh, move in the GPU slash interconnect, enterprise interconnect networking environment uh, this week. NVIDIA... Mm-hmm acquired Mellanox and uh, Josh was able to uh, draw on his years of experience and, and write up a story for us about, you know, what happened here, what it means. And uh, why don't you, why don't you tell us uh, your thoughts, Josh? Uh, NVIDIA bought Mellanox. Ta-da! <laughs> but why? Oh, you want more detail? Gosh, just a little dang, bit, yeah. just a little bit. Okay, so, you know, NVIDIA has not been shy about buying other companies. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of those haven't really come to fruition. I mean, like, uh, what was the uh, physics guys? Um, Agia? Agia, yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, that was interesting. as money well spent. Uh, then they did uh, Isera mm-hmm. for modems. They laid off everybody there after buying it and trying to get that to work after a couple of years. And uh, so, you know, I guess probably their most successful acquisition was was the $70 million that they paid for a bunch of 3DFX uh, patents and and um, getting some people to work there and, and just, you know, all the stuff that they bought that $70 million, they've they've been able to probably integrate some of that technology into their graphics cards throughout the years and, and relied on those patents and that was probably the best thing they ever bought. Um, you know, I, I probably am forgetting something here. I think there's like a multimedia company that they bought down in Fort Collins, Colorado, um, that they still do some stuff with. But anyway, uh, regardless, uh, why Mellanox? Well, 
they're a group that actually sells very high end networking uh, parts. So not only just uh, Ethernet, but also InfiniBand. And if you look at any of the top 500 supercomputers, half of them are probably um, powered by Mellanox products. And so what they do is is they have these massive switching chips that that are incredibly fast and um, you know allow for very very wide uh, integration of, of multiple CPUs, machines, uh, machines with GPUs, and and all that. And so if we kind of look back and and think about where Nvidia is going, you know, last year they they introduced the NV switch, which allows I think up to uh, twelve GPUs to be uh, supported on on a dual uh, processor system. Um, we don't know how long it took them to develop that chip. We don't know how flexible the technology is, but it uses NVLink. But NVLink may only go so far. And if they want to get into these massive data centers and they want to get, you know, thousands of GPU cores uh, all running together, you need to have high-speed communications. Now, the other buyer that was interested in Mellanox was Intel, and they lost the bidding war, but it may not they may not have been as excited to to purchase Mellanox because of the you know couple of of Ethernet uh, high end uh, uh, component makers. Intel is is you know probably number one. I mean, if you look at all of their networking chips, uh, they're featured in servers as as just kind of the default uh, product, especially at, at the high end. And so, if you know, I imagine some of the the uh, antitrust watchdogs were really, really paying attention to this because if Intel eats up Mellanox, then there really is only kind of one major supplier of these high end communication chips uh, for supercomputers and, and other applications. And so, Nvidia paid six point nine billion for this, and not only did they pay for it, but they paid for it in cash. It wasn't just like you know, hey, Mellanox uh, shareholders, here's you know, an X amount of, of NVIDIA shares that, that we're just kind of giving you to take over this. And so everybody's happy. No, they 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 took cash reserves and they just paid for it. Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting. I mean, if you think back a couple of years ago, AMD bought C-Micro. And there's some data, debate about how much Freedom Fabric has been implemented in, in, te- in AMD's Infinity Fabric. Uh, some people... You know, claim that it's 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 part of the hyper transport. Uh, others are saying it's you know kind of ripped directly from there. I think it's probably a mix of the two uh, that they used a lot of the basis for the Freedom Fabric and hyper transport and got it all kind of working together. I mean, this is just you know alchemy, I guess, to me, and I'm babbling here, but um, I think there is a lot of basis in the Freedom Fabric and Infinity Fabric, and AMD has got a really interesting collection of CPUs coming out this next uh, couple of quarters with their seven nanometer parts and how, how they have, you know, distributed the, the chiplets and the IO chips and all of this is connected via infinity fabric. And I'm wondering if NVIDIA didn't kind of see this and say, you know what, we really need uh, much more robust, faster, you know, connectivity in between multiple GPUs for the data center and perhaps even for consumer cards in the uh, in the coming years, just because, you know, Moore's Law is, is essentially dead. Um, 
it's been forever to get from 22 nanometers down to seven nanometers. And we still have only got a handful of parts running at seven nanometer. And, uh, that, that train has just slowed down so much that the need for high performance computing continues to grow, but the ability to provide enough big chips to fulfill this is really tough. I mean, look at Intel. I mean, they're, they're large Xeons. Uh, they're super supply constrained. Uh, they just can't, they just can't send enough. Uh, there's, there's, you know, you order something from Dell and you can expect multiple weeks before you get that order uh, uh, fulfilled. And, and a lot of these big OEMs are, are not happy and they're starting to try to push the AMD Epic parts as well. But, uh, you know, until AMD really gets their seven nanometer parts out there, I think a lot of people will just continue to wait for the Intel Xeons. But again, these are just massive, massive chips. Um, and they can't make enough of them. And, you know, if you look at how big these chips are coming from, from NVIDIA, they've got the same problem. I mean, they, I mean, right now demand is, is not great, but if it were better, you know, it's, it's just harder to make these big chips. And so having a, a robust communication inner chip and inner machine or inner system or, you know, inner node communication is, is going to be very, very key if they want to continue to grow in the data center and provide parts for this. I don't know what I've been mean, rambling on here for minutes now. And, and what do you guys think? So, I mean, I don't know a lot about the history of NVIDIA's enterprise initiatives uh, or anybody's enterprise initiatives, but uh, looking at it, uh, I think you, you pointed out too, Josh, that from a business perspective, unlike some other acquisitions that Intel and others have made, they're buying a, a, a going concern here. They're buying a company that has revenue that's going to immediately contribute to the bottom line. Uh, so right off the bat, from that sense, it's not, you know, that, that's a factor at play. And then looking at just the story from my perspective, the last few years is just the convergence of these, these older, bigger companies. You've got Intel moving into graphics. You've got AMD reinserting itself in enterprise and desktop. You've got NVIDIA moving into the enterprise. Uh, yeah, so this is this is just another part of that story as as these companies look to engage each other on multiple on multiple more novel fronts. No, I think I think you've kind of nailed it. I mean, it's it's not only is it a company that's shipping product, but yeah, it's it's going to have a positive impact on on their bottom line, you know, in the coming quarters once they finish the uh the acquisition. Um and so unlike like, you know, with the Isera buy you know, they bought the company. There wasn't a product that they really could sell, but the technology was there. They thought that, hey, the sky's the limit with this, with uh, the programmability of these modems, and it turned out to be not the case. I think they released one part that had an Isera modem attached, and nobody nobody bought it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot going on here, and they're really looking forward to, to the future and to have that kind of uh, R&D uh, development in, in these massive uh, arrays that, uh, you know, high-speed networking communication, uh, it's, it's going to have some positive effects on, on products in the future. We don't see anything integrated like Infinity Fabric here until, you know, at least three years down the line, if not a little bit longer. But, you know, the, the potential is, is there. Because remember, Infinity Fabric is, is not just CPUs, but it's built into Vega. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen the entire. I mean, so far that Infinity Fabric has been used primarily for, you know, the the Zen chips with the with the integrated Vega graphics. But 
we don't know how that's going to, you know, advance as, as the future comes down and uh, AMD attempts to, you know, get more into, you know, with their graphics into high-end computing. So chiplets everywhere. Chiplets everywhere. everywhere. It's the only way to fly. All right. Well, let's jump into the news. Uh, we've got uh, a number of stories this week. So a lot of them sort of related into things gaming and Microsoft. Uh, some of it good, some of it weird. Uh, first yeah. off, we've got uh, something we thought we'd never see. Uh, Scott wrote this up for us. DirectX 12 on Windows 7, sort of, by way of World of Warcraft. So what happened here is, you know, obviously for years, Microsoft told us DirectX 12, just just like Internet Explorer was a core part of the operating system, DirectX 12 was a core part of Windows 10. It just It just couldn't happen. You couldn't do it on earlier operating systems. But here we have parts of DirectX 12, certain layers of DirectX 12, being introduced into Windows 7 through the World of Warcraft client. If you're running a certain version of the client, it will enable DirectX 12 performance if you have the compatible hardware, obviously, on Windows 7. So what do you guys think about this? All I can say is, wow. <laughs> I need a soundboard with a rim shot. but <laughs> Yeah. Anybody else have any gems like that one? You know, I, I was discussing this with uh, Scott, but I, I feel that... I don't think this is a full DX12 implementation running on on Windows. I have a feeling it's kind of like uh, kind of like Mini GL uh, back in the Voodoo days. That mm-hmm. you know, wow, World of Warcraft is is. I mean, they probably you know runs DX12, but it probably doesn't have nearly all the calls that that the entire implementation does of DX12. And so it could be you know a little bit more basic. And uh, and they probably just pushed all their development and said, hey, you know, we're going to do. DX12 up and down. Let's talk to Microsoft. Maybe ways a way for us to to get this done. And so, yeah, I don't think it's a full DX12 implementation. It just is kind of a mini GL or mini DX12 that that we've seen in the past. Uh, that you know is is less complex, easier to implement, and and probably a little bit more transportable. I don't know, but. I'm not a software guy, but that's what it kind of seems like to me. Scott said, didn't think so, but who listens to Scott anyway? Yeah. Scott. I just like how it's so perfectly timed for the arrival of the nag screens for Windows 7 users. (sighs) Oh, right. They're going to try that again come the end of the month. Yeah. You know, you really should be moving up to the Windows 10 experience. You're making Cortana cry. And we're does taking my, your DX12 away. Ha-ha. Does Microsoft still acknowledge Cortana? I mean, haven't they been really downplaying that? Have you installed well, I Windows mean, the 10 and IE 11? Well, I mean, from their marketing and everything, I thought that was one of the things is they kind of started pulling back from the Cortana no. pushing. Every yeah, now damn you inst- re-imaged computer. Yeah, you install oh, well, Windows pop, 10, and the first thing that comes... The, right, yeah. That's the very beginning. Hi, I'm Cortana. Do you want to use and abuse me? Hey, hey, why do you hate accessibility? Huh? Well, they're certainly not pushing it as hard for connected devices like they had been. Okay, yeah. But yeah, the hmm. Windows experience is still all about Cortana, which still runs endlessly even when you so you know disable it. Uh-huh. But yeah. my question about this is... Like, I'm kind of wondering how it's going to be handled from the graphics driver standpoint. Like, You're not just going to suddenly have these like DX 12 ish features on your existing graphics drivers. I imagine 
unless like Josh said, it's just like enhancements that are just they come down in a patch to the game. But yeah, that is I'm a good sure point. It'll be glossed over. It'll be like you know the you know whatever Wickle driver adds support for new features with World of Warcraft. You know whatever expansion, but. Yeah, it's just very. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just like you know the mini GLs in the past. They would intercept the calls and translate them into something that the graphics card would be able to to handle. And uh, I, I wonder if it's just you know kind of a little sandwich of software in the uh, in the stack that does that exact same thing. And so Windows Seven thinks, hey, you're running DX nine, DX ten, whatever. And uh, or DX eleven, it does work on seven right i think yep. so yeah yeah so yeah i mean they could just be converting those into calls that the dx11 can can handle i don't know i mean it's from a developer's standpoint you would want all of your software development under you know one dx and not have to worry about all the other versions but you're gonna have to have support from from microsoft and to be able to implement that effectively. So it, it would be interesting to hear the entire story from both sides. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're not sure how this will all play out, but just to reiterate, this is this doesn't mean you can go and enable DirectX 12 and Windows 7. If this comes to you, it's going to come to you built into specific games that have been changed or modified to support this with Microsoft's assistance. So uh, so it's, it's interesting for sure. The implications remain to be seen. Uh, but here's something that's just awesome and overdue, and that is Halo, the Master Chief Collection, coming to PC. Microsoft had an announcement earlier this week where they uh, or had an event earlier this week where they made the announcement. And uh, obviously, the Master Chief Collection is four years old. It's It's been around on Xbox for several years now it had a controversial launch because a lot of the multiplayer features were broken at launch and took them a long time to fix it, but they stuck with it. And I don't play it a lot myself. I haven't played it myself personally uh, in several years, but my impression is that they've really done a great job and people seem to think the current state of the Master Chief Collection is is pretty good. And so to see it come to uh, uh, Windows, th- this has been rumored for a long time. There was no technical reason why they couldn't do it. It was just a matter of timing. And it's not only coming to Windows, but it's coming to the Windows Store and to Steam, uh, which is uh, people, whether it was intended to be or not, it's people are positioning this as a slap back at Epic and the Epic Game Store, which is all about gobbling up these exclusives and then selling your information to the Chinese government. No, I'm just kidding, sort of. So there, there's this this pushback of, hey, we're Microsoft, Phil Spencer's on stage, everyone loves him. Uh, he's so open and cooperative, and and here we are. We're gonna we're gonna have this this key franchise of ours come to both Windows Store and Steam. Uh, we just don't know the exact date. We know that it's gonna trickle out sort of game by game. My impression is you're gonna buy the collection, and then you'll get the games as they become available. And the order that these games are gonna come out in is uh let me pull that screen back up here it looks like it's going to be halo reach then combat evolved which was the first one halo 2 halo 3 odst with but just the campaign halo 3 and halo 4 and of course these games uh some of these games have already been on PC. Halo launched on PC alongside Xbox, as well as Halo 2 as a Vista exclusive another game that Microsoft claimed required Vista you had to upgrade to Vista to get it 
and then we've had Halo uh, 5 technically on PC via the Forge thing, but the code was running. So uh, not entirely first tier, but to have it all officially out at once, uh, I think is exciting. What do you guys, what do you guys think about this? I can finally play Halo 2 on my PC again. Without having to pull out the I never got key. in on the the original Vista thing. I kind of saw it advertised mm-hmm. and saw it in Walmart once and yeah, never never picked it up. You know, yeah. usually decade old games show up on GOG.com for pennies, but you know, at least we have the digital distribution of you know, is is there as much of an online community for this anymore? Or was I never played Halo games, so I'm I'm Probably shouldn't even be offering any kind of opinion here. Well, Halo was everything in my early college days when we all had Xboxes in our dorm rooms. And like, that's what we played. That was the Fortnite of the day, Halo multiplayer. And yeah, I don't know if this is going to capture the group of kids, you know, the Fortnite esporter kind of group that dominates the markets now, but there's probably a market of people, uh, you know, my age, right, you know, or or older gamers who this is going to hit that nostalgia feeling. Uh, I don't know how long, how long it'll last, how well it'll compete. Online gaming has changed a lot since original Halo multiplayer online, you know, in terms of types of games and uh, uh, just communication and, and coordinating your team and game modes and all that. So I don't know, but if they don't, if they don't, introduce any kind of crazy monetization and it sells for a good price and it runs well. I mean, I think it's, it's not going to take over Fortnite or apex or anything, but it's, it's good to see. A lot of people are going to get it because they want to, they want to redo the, uh, the whole warthog jump thing with the grenades. Mm-hmm. Remember that, that video? Fun thing. Well, I can yeah, get my, my Logitech, uh, MX 518 out and play a little bit. Yeah. Wait, you the new one or your retro. One? Yeah, well, the new cl- one will be a little bit too sensitive. Well, you can you can adjust it. My, my unfortunately, my, my original died, and I tossed it a few years ago. Unfortunately, but uh, I got the new one. So I've still got one in the shelves behind me. Yep. Yeah, we yeah, saw there. Jeremy. Jeremy uh, dragged the car- the carcass out last week or two weeks ago to show us. But all right so be on the lookout for that uh that's the halo master chief collection coming to pc it's going to be windows store and steam uh next up in news uh we've got uh, something we alluded to last week we were talking about the windows uh update kb4482887 uh, which was a the retpoline optimizations intended to improve performance by regaining performance that have been lost in some of those specter 2 mitigations and, and unfortunately had a side effect where it significantly degraded performance in ga- certain games and uh, certain applications. And so Scott wrote this up for us a few days ago and then just kind of, I think it was today, wasn't it? Or, or maybe it was late yesterday or, or today, Microsoft released another update, um, KB4489899, which fixes the problems introduced by that previous update. So if you had installed that update and we're seeing these problems, check for updates again and, uh, and check this out to, to get the fix. And I've, uh, I never saw these. Did anyone, was anyone bit by these? Did, did you guys experience these performance degradations that are being talked about? I think I did in, in dirt rally 2.0, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. when going full screen, you'd, you'd get some 
extreme choppiness and, and slower rates and you know what you really should. So yeah, I think that um, that and yeah, a couple other uh, what was another Resident Evil was one that when you updated to that and even if you had the the latest drivers, it would show that would be you know running like 102, 105 frames per second, but it just felt so choppy. The micro stutters and everything were there, and it was just you know it was not great. I mean, still looked great, but it, it didn't feel great. Yeah, so, yeah, was... I got I I, I kind of slowed down on my GPU testing until we can get this stuff kind of figured out. Well, yeah. and so if you were bit, uh, go check and grab that update. I didn't I didn't see it happen, but uh, I saw reports like Josh said that it seems to that th- those were the experiences and this update. Every every person who said they installed this update uh, either on Twitter or Reddit reported that the issue was solved. So it looks, it sucks that it had to happen, but it looks like Microsoft did fix it relatively quickly. So that's good. Yay, Microsoft. All right. Uh, next up in news, we've got uh, some stories about AMD's upcoming GPU launches. Uh, Sebastian wrote this up for us uh, based on some some reports over at WCCF Tech, right? Yes. And not a, not a lot there, but the interesting part was that they had said that partners are the ones saying that they expect it to launch, as he put it, exactly a month after the Ryzen 7 nanometer launch, which based on the previous rumors, speculation about the Ryzen launch, we're, we've already been told it's mid-2019. So just guessing, you know, 7.7 seven seems like a pretty nice number for a 7 nanometer CPU launch if they wanted to be clever, but the that would place this at around august so possibly even earlier depending on when they launch the ryzen 3000s but my thinking is if this is actually coming from board partners who often have information before press or anybody else then we will probably start seeing the endless parade of leaked box art and different renders and product photos from videocards.com soon enough so it's just going to follow the, the usual timeline of all gpu like the the rumors began very early and then they start to get followed up with like, you know, spec leaks and pricing leaks and then stores in Europe that have it listed a month early and all that kind of stuff. So it's very early days, but it is interesting that the WCCF tech who said they had the exclusive on this, they may have actually been fed this by somebody uh, either at AMD or from one of AMD's partners. So, but as I said, we have to wait for it to pan out. Right. And and sort of similar or related to that, I should say, is, is another news story we had, which is maybe we have some data about some of these Navi GPUs. Uh, some uh, interesting results of a cleverly named GPU classification in some benchmarks. It's labeled in the benchmark 66AF colon F1, and it showed up in some uh, Computech, uh, was it Compu, CompuBench and Graphics Benchmark results, right, Jeremy? Uh, it was more compute. We didn't really get any look at graphics. I mean, if you, you flip over to the graphics tab uh, from that one, as I slowly bring up GFX Bench here. And so that they ran Aztec Ruins, uh, which is a, a fairly basic one. But when you scroll down a little bit further, you start to see some of the other ones like... Uh, Manhattan on and off screen, uh, T-Rex, and a couple others, which puts it, you know, a bit 
better than the 580, but not really keeping up with what the computes we've been seeing on NVIDIA's cards now. So it lends a good amount of uh, credence. Oh, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. That's the one. Clearwater. Uh, to the rumors we're hearing that they're going to lead with something very, very mid-range, which you know is becoming a nice and crowded marketplace right now, uh, which is kind of good to see for those people that can't blow $500 on a graphics card, let alone 12 as seems to be what's expected nowadays. I do also love the fact that they didn't bother doing the Bitcoin uh, test because, well, no one really cares so much anymore. Well, data is good, even if you're not going to use that data. I mean, having it as yeah. a comparative or for purposes of comparison would be handy. And who knows what crypto nonsense will happen next uh, it doesn't seem like it's it's a big shocker that you know we're not going to see it as early as some people had hoped a lot of people were thinking maybe q1 q2 uh release and yeah it just doesn't doesn't seem that way we haven't heard of major orders and well i mean there's orders but we have no idea when when things are actually going to be delivered and everybody's keeping pretty tight-lipped but yeah they need to come out Sooner than later, but I think it's going to be later. Then again, they've got a ton of inventory to get rid of. Yeah, everyone does right now. Yeah, but at least Ryzen three looks like it's going to be on time. So you know, if this is a little bit later, still not horrible. But come on, guys, get it out. Well, get it out when it's ready. That's don't don't get it out if the drivers aren't there and the optimizations aren't there, and then the first round of benchmarks all turn out to be a disaster. But well, you know, Jim, great artists ship. Is that what the quote was from Jobs? Was a great I artist? Think so. Okay. No, I think that was. Yeah, from I thought it was great artist steel, but <laughs> that's that was Bill Gates's argument. Oh, okay. All right. It's like we know. both broke into the same house, and I you broke in to steal the TV, but I'd already been there, or some nonsense like that. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, so you know, based on everything we're seeing, Navi will be uh, a mid-range launch initially, most likely. So keep expectations in check for that. Don't go expecting an RTX 2080 Ti killer. Uh, That's not exciting, Jim. We don't want another, like, temper your expectations because the new GPU architecture that you've been waiting for for, what, two years now is going to come out and it's going to be underwhelming. But we're going to hit price points. That kind of stuff is, they need more than that. Like, Radeon 7 showed that AMD can absolutely compete as long as the software and driver support is there the hardware itself can compete right up there with similarly priced nvidia hardware and it it really depends on the game as like far cry 5 ashes of course ashes singularity everyone's favorite amd benchmark but if if there's any kind of radeon optimization at all that card does quite well it's just ridiculously priced both of them coming out with $700 cards, NVIDIA and AMD has created just a ridiculous high end to the high end market, but AMD has no answer at $500. There are $400 Vega 64s out there that are a very good card for that amount of money. But other than great deals on a Vega 56 that are fleeting one week, it might be 269 or 279. The next week, the, the cheapest one I can find is over $400. So and then then it drops significantly down to the RX 570, 580, and at least the 590s are coming down a little bit. I actually saw one today for 239, so that's not bad, the RX 590. But there's a big hole there 
where NVIDIA just seems to be wanting to fill up the product stack where they came out with the GTX 1660 Ti after launching the RTX 2060 to have cards like at that 349 price range and the 279 price range. And they still have a bunch of Pascal cards out in the uh, supply chain. I, I just hope that uh, Navi scales a whole lot better than Polaris and Vega has because once I start getting up to all those compute cores, TDPs just get really high. Um, the heat that comes off of those, even if you're undervolting, it's it's yeah. still just not as as good as what uh, Nvidia seems to be able to do with with their architecture. So I'm hoping that um, you know Navi is a little bit more scalable and a little bit more efficient. But I mean, you know, Vega seven nanometer was okay, just not great. In terms of especially, you know, TDPs and, and scaling, I mean, sure, it was fast in certain things, but yeah, it, um, you know, you expect a seven nanometer part with one terabyte per second of, of memory bandwidth of 16 gigs to really just tear things up. And it was competitive. Yeah, it, it's like they said on their slides, like it was supercharged Vega. They took an aging GPU and they supercharged it. So you're getting significantly better performance than the stock. It's like with the car, I mean, you're only, you're limited by the engine to some extent. You can tweak it and, you know, mess with the computer and port polishing and get out and push weight reduction. Well, yeah, get out and push. Yeah. But anyway. Well, we're all going to be spending more than we want on GPUs, is the lesson, right? <laughs> well, I mean, if you vote with our wallets, nobody buys a GPU. And then prices fall and everybody wins. Let's bring back board games. Okay. Remember board games? Actually, I think there's a They're number of back. boutique YouTube uh, channels that have built their entire model around tabletop. Everyone's games. favorite uh, Star Trek character hosts one of hmm. these video, video shows about board games, I believe. Wrong. Shut sorry. up, Jim. <laughs> okay. Well, let's continue on with the news. Uh, I'm sorry. W- uh, Will Wheaton seems like a good human being. I just. Don't like his presentation style. Leave it at that. Uh, uh, Continuing (laughs) on with the news, uh, more gaming news and some more stuff involving storefronts and nonsense. But Phoenix Point, which was an anticipated crowdfunded and not just crowdfunded, but funded through Fig, which is a like legit investment platform, not just like Kickstarter, Mm -hmm. but like there were there were terms and requirements and other legality. I've never done it myself, but it's 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 another it's a higher tier of funding for projects. Uh, so uh, this was a, a game that's from the XCOM creators or one of them. And it's a similar style sort of sci-fi tactical shooter uh, funded Back a couple of years original, ago. Yes, the original. Yes, the original. the newer versions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, funded a couple of years ago with my understanding is the promise of providing backers with Steam and GOG keys upon release. And then mm-hmm. this week they came out of they come out of nowhere. I guess they had delayed the game a couple times, or there'd been some there'd been some announcements that indicated things weren't going as going to plan. And they came out. They and had said, some stretch goals they didn't make. Uh, like there was an underwater base and a couple of other extra things that they had been pushing towards, and they just never met it. And then they had, you know, as with every software programming team, you know, they had a little bit of a kerfuffle. It wasn't major compared to some of them, but it, it did slow things down. And then they did this. 
Yeah, and this this being uh, that they came out and said, hey, we're going exclusively to the Epic Store uh, for one year. So the game will launch. Epic gave them a bunch of money. They obviously also get the advantage of having the, the higher cut, 88% of sales versus 70% on Steam and other platforms. So they, they did this deal. It'll be exclusive on Epic uh, for a year. And then the implication being after that year, they'll hand out steam and glg keys and distribute it elsewhere at that point and they positioned it by saying you know this is a it's a good thing because the money from epic lets us run the studio for a year so all of our year one dlc is going to be free to every every backer up till now or pre everyone who backed or pre-ordered up till now is going to get a full year of dlc for free and they seemed quite confused at the negative response uh surprisingly uh well i mean there's some of us that are still pissy about dlc mm -hmm. and not just day one dlc but the idea of okay you paid for a game and now we're gonna start charging you extra for stuff that could have been in there in the beginning and there's still some people like me that unless you are adding what used to be like the 20 or 30 dollar additional game not four or five extra missions but a whole damn new thing a that was sort of like, wait a second. So the stuff that should have been in there that shouldn't have cost me any more money is now going to come out. And you're guaranteeing the game ain't going to be quite done, at least in my opinion. But you'll give us the updates for free a la a season pass uh, that everyone else does. So, I mean, that miffs me. I, there was a couple of things about the original. And I, I, I'm still trying to think back, you know, why it wasn't this one of the ones that I backed because this is totally my sort of thing. And I don't remember what it was, but it was just something about the, the fig campaign that just struck me as a little bit, yeah, wait and see what happens. And I'm kind of glad that I did. I mean, the Epic Store might be decent, but there's there's no support for Linux. Uh, the search function is horrible. Loading pages is just freaking nasty uh, because they're not loading like a little small one with optional videos. It's just this huge, long page, like a, a PR post for you know, a, a full-blown motherboard or something. And it, it just, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of you guys doing this. Adding it to f saying, hey, we're also going to release it on Epic, and if you go to the Epic store, the stuff that we might be charging you for on Steam or GOG will be free if you're a backer. You know, there are ways you could have done this a little bit better off than, by the way, you know, you have to go here. And if you're really, really snooty, well, they are at least offering you refunds. So you can get your money back and have nothing. They are, although I've I've been following the kerfuffle on Reddit on their subreddit, and apparently they're not just refunding you through the means with which you initially donated or purchased. They're requiring you to go to a third party payment processor, and it's a legitimate payment processor. Yeah. But some people are saying, "Well, I, I gave you. My, I don't want to have to go and give this other person who I've never done business with my bank account information. You know, why just process, give me the money back." And so then they started looking at chargebacks and then people started getting their accounts banned. And uh, it's and, and one, one of the uh, PR managers called somebody who I mean, he was pretty aggressive, but I don't think crossed the line. He was he was he was posting a lot of, uh, we'll say, you know, shit posts about this. And the PR manager publicly called him a cock waffle. So that was <laughs> interesting. That was uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind uh, of a mess do. all over the place. And uh uh, 
you know, I, I, I get that store that publishers want the money. I get that, that they want security. I, I am all for competition. I don't, I'm not thinking steam is perfect here and that they should never be challenged. It's no. the way that this happened. And I'm not a backer in, in, in any regard. I, I hadn't even heard of this game prior to this happening. So from that perspective, I guess the whole, you know, uh, any news is good news kind of thing is, is paying out uh, a little bit, but, uh, it, you know, they're, they're, they're screwing a loyal fan base that actually put their money up and they're doing it for, for, for money up front. But also there's this impression amongst all these games that seem to go to Epic that they want to get this, this user base, this fan base, these millions of people who are now tied to Epic because of Fortnite. But the misconception I think is these kids are on Epic because, and I don't mean to say kids derisively. I mean to say literally they're mostly younger under, they're mostly minors. If you were to look at the entire Fortnite user base, the majority of them are probably under 18 years old. And they're they're not they're using Epic because they have to to play this one game that has currently captured their attention. They're not going to just migrate over to another game. It's not like they're normal users who you can tout as a user base or a readership or an audience. I, I don't see a game like this capturing their attention or being beneficial. Uh so I don't know. But check it out if you if you if you did back the program, go check out the terms, see if it's acceptable to you, and and see if you can get a refund if you're not happy about it. But you know, to and your until point, then we can wait for Bethesda to launch their store. <laughs> right. So to many your point, launchers. Jim, uh, yes. they don't even list below age eighteen. Apparently, I I don't know if you have to lie and say you're eighteen to install and play the game or not. But looking at this snapshot of Fortnite Fortnite players, which I guess I could have shared the link so you could have a visual here but uh i'm posting that into the chat here our our internal chat but 62.7 percent uh in 2018 of Fortnite players were in the 18 to 24 range but that's the lowest range that they uh have in their demographics here yeah so i can imagine that that is like i mean you're right that's huge it's two-thirds well look what it says right after that Discounting under 18. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Adults 18 plus. Yeah. So that's, 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 that's juggling around your, your statistics really crappily. You know, those 75% of our players are under 18, but that 25% breaks out like this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you just, I, I know statistics can be manipulated and, and obviously it's hard to make assumptions because we're all sort of isolated in certain ways, but literally everyone I know who plays that game is under 18. Uh, everyone I see online talking about it is under 18. Everyone I see on Twitch streams is under 18. It, it's, it's, and that's what, great. It's what? awesome to get kids into gaming and PC gaming in particular, but it's, it's a game that is primarily targeted towards and popularized by children. That's just how it is. Don't That's, ask a question you don't want the answer to, Sebastian. I know. I don't. I don't want to be accused of cock waffling, but you know, <laughs> no. I have questions about <laughs> you know, I, their demographics research and you know the Fortnite user base. The one thing <laughs> that I, I don't understand is I've got just on my desktop. I've got Epic Games. I've got UPlay. I've got Steam. I've got um, Origin. You know, Blizzard's thing. Um, yeah. Origin. And it doesn't bother me that I have these different clients, but some people are just furious and I don't, I don't understand. I mean, it's just, so what if they've got a different 
front end for the game that you play locally on your machine. It's just, I realize one-stop shopping is, is handy, but in this case, um, I think it has stifled a lot, lot of competition. And, you know, getting a couple more out there, and sure, Uplay had its issues when it was first launched. It was a piece of crap, but now it's it's solid. All of these guys are solid. I mean, Origin works fine. It may not have the functionality that, that Steam does, but Steam has been out since 2004. But yeah, I don't I don't understand the the extreme hate because not only do we have all those things, but we've got, you know, a separate Discord chat and people run crap on Chrome and and I've got my IRC window up and I've got my VLC player that that plays video. It's not like I want all these things jammed into like a Chrome browser because that would be horrendous. Well, I think in 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 uh, Epic's case in particular, it's it's that the store itself or the the launcher, the the ecosystem is significantly behind the competition in terms of features it just lacks a lot of things even things as basic as like download throttling so that you can download a game in the background without it sucking up your online bandwidth while you're playing um things like that but also in particular because of the tencent investment tencent has ties to the chinese government the chinese government and this is not about chinese people culture or ethnicity this is about the actual chinese government as it works in practice is a totalitarian dictatorship and the people have caught the epic launcher doing suspicious things that it shouldn't be doing, logging data that it doesn't need, looking at processes on your computer that it doesn't need. It is doing things that no one that I've, I've looked around, no one can explain why the launcher does some of the things it does. That bothers me. That worries me. That's, another, I, that's, that's my problem with all of this stuff. You, well, one of them, you have all these different clients. Telemetry is just, it's everywhere. Every application uses it. Windows 10 uses it. Every time you're connected to the internet, there's information about your computer, information about what you do on your computer, what you're typing or files you have saved in your computer that can be shared with Microsoft. So they're doing it with that whatever, you know, anonymous collection that they do. But then you have, what if I have four or five different clients that start up with a computer? First of all, to me, it's a performance issue and an annoyance when I've Mm. got all of these different clients chewing up CPU cycles, unless I manually disable them at startup. If I don't have them all logged in and up to date, then that's an extra bit of annoyance looking up like, what was my Uplay login again? I've got to remember that password. I've got to have that logged in. You can, one of the things that made it easier with Steam was I could tie these to Steam. Like, would you like to link your account with Steam? Oh, sure. And then I never saw it again. Like I would launch the game. It, It would run the additional DRM client, but then I wouldn't really see it. I didn't have to interact with it. I didn't have to do like the stupid lounge thing. I think when uh, Grand Theft Auto five came out and there was whatever rock stars lounge, I social think club, really trying to social club. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to look at that once I linked my accounts, although, you know, God forbid you ever forget your password. Like I did getting through to a human being there is not easy to access your own account and I couldn't play the game at all for a few days. But when I, you know, that's, it's just, just like people use password managers to make their lives easier. It was nice to have just like one secure two factor authenticated steam account. And then everything just loads and installs. You don't have to worry about it. And I get that Epic is enticing developers with much more favorable returns 
but how long is that going to last? Like they're just trying to build up. They're they're building up on the on top of Fortnite, and they're going to ride this thing as far as they possibly can, and hope that when everybody moves on to the next big thing that may or may not be an epic exclusive title, that they will have the customer base and they'll have the clout to just keep going. I guess as a Steam competitor, but that's that's exactly it. I think that's that's a hundred percent it. They know it's not going to last forever, and they want to take advantage of it. I don't blame them for that. I just don't have to like it, you know? Who distributed PUBG? What was that? That was not an Epic game, was it? No, that was through Steam. So PUBG was what everybody was playing as far as Battle Royale, even, was it two years ago, year and a half ago? Mm -hmm. Fortnite came kind of out of nowhere and just became the next PUBG. What will become, it's, it's like, it just seems like a fashionable sort of social network kind of thing. It's now it's Apex Legends. Well, they they hope it is. Yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah. the. Mm-hmm. They hope that this initial surge can has legs, but this has the feel to me of that app that everybody at work is playing on their phones constantly, and then and every family member is playing it all the time, and then the next thing you know, you turn around and like, what are you playing? And it's like the next game that sixty million people play, Pokemon Go. And then it disappears, basically, except for the ultra hardcore who still play it. So, Pokemon Go, PUBG, Flappy Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Now what? Battlefield Five has a uh, battle royale that's going to be coming out as well. Oh yeah, I saw that today. Yeah. Fire Strike or something like that. We've got to yeah. jump on the battle royale bandwagon. Uh, anyway. Well, all right. Well, let's move on to the next story uh, before. I say something else that's going to get me in trouble, but, uh, the, uh, the next news item is, uh, Samsung has, uh, if I can get the tab here, Samsung is rolling out EM Ram for the internet of things. So why don't you tell us about this, Jeremy? Well, I, this is a magnetic Ram, especially the embedded stuff has been around for quite a while, but the thing is that it's almost exclusively been coming from Everspin. And for the most part, Everspin was using Glofo to to make it, although they had a couple of other fabs that were doing it. So Samsung jumped in to say that they're actually working on uh, a one gigabyte chip that uh, they're hoping to be able to tape out, you know, sometime later this year, which, you know, is a fairly tight schedule uh, as far as it goes. But this sort of opens up a, a huge chunk of storage space for and cheap uh not just cheap production but it it slurps energy just a tiny tiny little bit it, it not even a wafer so it's not going to impact your battery life it's not going to impact the overall amount of heat that's being produced by whatever internet of thing thing that you're using except now you get vastly more storage space and coming from Samsung, which, you know, obviously they're going to like better than coming from a competitor. It also, uh, they're talking because they've got ARM licenses that you might see ARM processors with EMRAM actually embedded on it, which, you know, makes for a very interesting system on a chip. And we're not going to see it right away. It is going to take a little bit longer. And honestly, it, for me, there's more interesting memory technologies that I'd like to see developed. But for now, you know, incredibly low power requirements, incredibly low heat, relatively cheap to make, and tiny. You know, the 
having that uh, 100 gigs free on your phone could become very, very easy and not at the prices we're seeing on some of the higher-end uh, iPhones and uh, galaxies that we are now, where if you're going above 64 gigs, you're, you're paying an arm and a freaking leg for it, and it's almost all what you're paying for is the memory. So it, it's it'll be interesting to see how this goes throughout uh, the year, and, you know, is this actually going to come out as they're saying, or is, you know, taping it out by the end of the year just a little bit optimistic? Anyone else sort of interested in this, or is it just uh, one of them things? Local dense, fast memory is always a good thing, but I don't know enough about uh, that 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 technology to to comment on. But it's it's nice that we have other options that they are developing because flash memory, um, you know, especially the planar stuff is it's just. You know, it's it's a dead technology almost, and and now we're all going to 3D VNAND, and this is just another it's another jump that that is seemingly necessary uh, for the type of use cases. But yeah, I'd like to know more. Too bad we don't no longer have a nuclear engineer around here to to kind of take us point by point. Well, yeah, it will I've be cheaper his, than Optane. I can call him if you want to see wake him up. Oh, actually, no, he's playing Stellaris. Wake him up. No, he's playing Stellaris. Yeah, okay, never mind. Thank uh, you, Discord. Speaking of it, even Paradox has got a bloody launcher. Paradox oh, Interactive they? made a store. Oh, oh, God, yeah. And if you geez. buy the, the program on from them, you can't put it on Steam. It's totally separate. Huh. Man. Yeah. Even, even they have done it. Every, I, everybody should just shop at GOG. Standalone DRM-free launchers. That's all you I need. I pray they stay in business for a very long time. Well, I've bought their charging catalog, thirty bucks for so. Diablo One, so yeah. <laughs> you wait, you've bought their you have every game. Is there I a have, package? I have bought way too much from GOG. I don't know. I, at some point, I should look up the total. But like every, you know, every time they have a sale, and I go to the sale, mm-hmm. and it says in your library, in your library, in your oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I is there anything about that. I can buy? Can I give you my money? It is almost. I mean, there's just something. Obviously, I like. I, I, I haven't bought Day of the Tentacles. But specifically for that so that it's still there is something i haven't bought oh well you're missing out the other things that i have because have you played the remastered oh, version of all <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, re- the remaster of that game is fantastic yeah it is what what game day of the tentacle oh yeah way back yeah all right well let's uh let's uh continue and finish up the news here uh a very very special birthday announcement to well the internet but uh is it technically the birthday of just hypertext well it's the birthday of the original proposal for information management written by term tim berners lee uh working at a cern at that point about how in the hell do we keep track of all of this freaking data guys it, it's scattered out a couple of different places so we've got to be able to pull it from these remote areas but in a way that makes sense and is readable and makes sense to a human and for that he came up with a much neater version of hypertext than we ended up with i've got to say uh the original one uh had what what sort of become xml just embedded in it it was part of the idea was that it's doing version tracking it's doing but not just a link to the data that you're looking at, but links to the references 
that that data makes and or that uh, the data relies on to make its point. It was really nifty, but as always, you know, it, it there are certain things that you've got to do and compromises that have to be made to be able to push it out. And so it took, you know, the better part of a year before they built a program that could actually read it, which uh, in if you go to the article or post that I wrote, there's actually a link to a, a, a virtual machine that they've put up on a web page where you can actually take a look at what the original uh, ideas from him were. So it's it's interesting. And I mean, if you do know more about the, the great series of tubes than the average person, you know, this is something that's really, really interesting. For everyone else, it's just like, oh, yeah, the web, it's it's old. Remember AOL? Isn't it amazing? Sorry, it was yeah, all it developed just... on on Next. Yeah. Steve Jobs. He helped invent the internet. That bastard. I know. Where does Al Gore come in? But the this? long story, he's the algorithm in the middle of it. Oh, okay. Yes. But the, the sort of the, one of the things that came up. I hate you. <laughs> uh, you should. <laughs> you really should. But he also uh, released a, a document, you know, on uh, the 12th yesterday, sort of talking about what happened to his kid and, and good Lord, would you people stop being so horrible to each other? It's, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, any other parent looking around after 30 years and going, the, the kids into link, link baits and, you know, business models that purely just thrive off of doing horrible, horrible things. And, you know, if I can say it, people just generally be in cock waffles to each other. So he sort of asked politely if you might consider stopping or at least thinking before you start spouting stuff out. Because as much as it might seem funny to you, as we've all seen that there are some negative effects that happen to a lot of people and not just the, the vulnerable, just about to anyone. But has it all been worth it? Do the, 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 the pros outweigh the cons in the end? God, no. People have to watch us now. But they have say, never invented this. We wouldn't have... Well, but they have a choice. They can just turn off YouTube and go watch you another video. You don't have a choice. There's no choice. Oh, they, this they is don't? mandatory viewing. This is the state party network. We control network. the vertical. We control yeah. the horizontal. I know yeah. in Jim's foil-lined underground bunker, uh, he doesn't see much of the outside world, but it, it was legislation was passed uh, early this year, and now PC Perspectives podcast is mandatory viewing. Interesting. The viewership numbers do not align with that set of facts. <laughs> I'm gonna of the to viewers file. 18 and over. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's those yeah. minors, Jim, that you're not tracking. But please don't start because that could result in entirely different yes, uh, legal problems. Of course. Yourself. Of course. Well, let's uh, let's sort of uh, bookend the show with the final story here, which is uh, sort of a partner to the initial thing we talked about, which was Sebastian's review. Um, and uh, that is that they have launched another case as well. And uh, why don't you tell us about this? Well, yeah, it's they sent both of them. I did not have time to get to both. So this is in lieu of a day one review, which will be coming soon. But it's kind of Corsair's answer to like the defined series of cases from Fractal Design. And this is still a very uh, expensive case at $200. It's, and it's, I 
we'll have to look at it and decide if I think it's it's worth that kind of a premium over something like a Define R6. But this is this has the noise damping everywhere, like the top, the side, the front, and it's built for silence. Wow! Look it's right, like, right next to it. Scroll, scroll up a little bit. Look, it's the NZXT H500. That's some good. Mm-hmm. That's some good Amazon algorithms right there. Way, way to go! <laughs> it's not similar at all to what I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, you know, tempered glass cases kind of all start to look the same when they're mostly made out of tempered glass, but yeah, solid front panel. Although this one opens and actually does have an optical drive like the R6. Now the R5 from Fractal Design had two optical drives, dropped it down to one with the R6. This has one very similar in many ways, actually to the R6. It does have the nice hinged door, which the R6 does not have, but uh, like I said, this, this launched alongside the 680X, and is on the opposite side where it's it's all about noise reduction, does not have RGB fans, a lot more understated looking. And I will just have to decide and let the readers decide if it's worth the 199 price tag, which is pretty steep. We should clarify, too. I don't think we specifically said this is the Carbide Series 678C case. Yes. And all, even though you haven't, even though they should wait for your review, this is this shipping today as well? Oh, yeah. Yep. This and the 680X went on sale today. This at 199 the 680X at 249 So they are being very aggressive with that high, high end of the market. I wonder how much the departure of case labs from the scene has kind of left this like really high margin, high priced enclosure segment up for grabs. And they're certainly populating it, at least from the 680X standpoint with a really high quality, you know, big spacious case, kind of like a case labs case. Although of course, Thermaltake offers some uh, similar kind of dual chamber designs for, for less money, depending on, you know, what you're looking for. But um, yeah, another premium entry from Corsair today. All right. Uh, and before we jump into the picks of the week, Sebastian, did you want to get something in there real quick? No. What, no? what do you, what, what you have no pick of the week in our show notes oh no 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 uh i no i don't have a pick okay (laughs) all right so you think about it no don't worry about it (laughs) all right so i'll start with mine then and uh, we've been picking a lot of humble bundles recently but that's just because there's there's been some pretty awesome humble bundles so this time it's the strategy 2019 bundle and uh, it's got a number of games at any price tier, I think. So at the dollar or more, you can get Ashes of the Singularity, Escalation, uh, Niche, Niche, a genetic survival game, which is something I hadn't heard of, uh, and Throne of Lies. Uh, so I'd buy that probably for the Ashes uh, alone. Uh, I haven't tried one of the, the greatest others. games. One of the greatest games ever made, obviously. Hey, 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 hey! Don't get that other sarcastic. that other game though. I'm sorry to cut in, but that other game, kind of a niche title, but you know, it has it does it have is. It's fan base. Uh, again, that's twice this episode I could have used the instant rim shot, but uh, in po- maybe I can do it in post. But anyway, uh, moving up to the average price, which as of right now is at $8.91, you get Offworld Trading Company as well as some DLC for that and Dungeons 3. And then here's where it gets interesting. At $9, you get Stellaris, which is as of today, if you were to buy this on Steam, it's still 40 bucks. Now there's $150 worth of DLC that you don't get with this, but at least you're getting the base game you know, for, for $9. 
uh, plus Plague Inc. Evolved, uh, which I've not, I've only played Plague on uh, mobile. I've never actually played the PC version. So uh, interesting there. And then at $15, you add on Civ 6. Again, just the base game, none of the uh, pricey expansions. But if you ha if you don't have them, that's quite a deal. 15 bucks. And for Stellaris and Civ alone, even for Stellaris, if you don't, I know Jeremy yeah, likes, likes Stellaris. Uh, this is worth it if you, if you haven't tried it. So, uh, so check that out. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite a deal. That's one of the better values I've seen uh, if you don't already have those games. Did you pick it up? Did you buy the bundle? I did not, only because I already own half the games, including the big ones, Stellaris and Civ. So oh, they okay. got me at full price. But, but if I didn't, I would have I bought it. Uh, next up, Jeremy's got something interesting. I saw this earlier, earlier this week. Uh, why don't you tell us about this? So I honestly didn't know that they were even developing this, uh, but I saw it, and the first thing I thought is, well, shit, we've all got those friends and family members that FTP is some bizarre, arcane thing, which is not possibly even conceptualized. Uh, Dropbox is confusing, uh, and when they try and email you that one gigabyte file that you asked for, it doesn't go through for some bizarre reason that they're frustrated about. This, and I tested it out, is just stupidly easy. You literally drag the file, you drop it. They've got, they can grab it for a couple of days, and after that, it's gone. If you sign in, uh, because you've got uh, a Firefox user, and you link it to this, up to two and a half gigs, just stupidly easy to do so this is great for when you're trying to pry that error log out of someone's hands or they're really desperate to show you the save game that they want you to load up or whatever it's just ridiculously easy and you don't have to worry about it well in theory you don't have to worry about it hanging around on the web forever not looking at you dropbox suddenly restoring things that were deleted five years ago <laughs> and, and this is uh, just again to clarify this is firefox send is the yeah. service and it's at send.firefox.com. Uh, and uh, there's a number of services that do this, that sort of provide like quick, easy one time or time limited file transfers. I think Firefox or Mozilla is the biggest, most reputable company to offer this thus far, hmm. as far as I've seen. Well, and honestly, you send them the link and they drag in the drop it and they're done. They don't need to sign in. They don't need to figure anything out. They're not getting a prompt saying, you know, your experience would be much better if you installed our client sort of thing. It's just, it's there. It's done. It's easy. Yep. Awesome. So check that out. It's uh, Firefox send and uh, it's free uh, as if we hadn't made that clear. Uh, so uh, Josh, you're up. Me. You know, back in 1998, I got a demo of uh, what looked like a really amazing looking 3D game. And I, I played it. Uh, I think it came in uh, on one of the boot discs, uh, you know, boot the magazine uh, before it turned yep. into Maximum PC. And uh, it was Resident Evil 2. And I ran around in that and I was amazed by the graphics. And except I didn't like, you know, zombie games. And then they, they came out with this, uh, you know, kind of reimagining of it and, and uh, you know, loaded that up. I, I got that for free when I bought the uh, Vega 56. And I thought, well, you know, this might be an interesting thing to, to, to use as, as a benchmark. And, and even though it runs extremely fast, it looks absolutely amazing. There are some parts when you're walking around, you think this is 
this is damn near photorealistic. I mean, there are things that, you know, we'll, we'll take away from that. Like, you know, the shuffling zombies and, and whatnot, they don't look as good, but just the lighting, the shadows, the, the ambiance, the, the detail in, in just the environment is, is amazing. And it's, it's a fun game to play as well. Um, you know, cheesy story, but who cares? X is going to give it to you. You know what I'm saying? Can't believe you're so. Yeah, get it if you're in interested. Canada. What's that, Jeremy? They're charging like eighty bucks for it up here. Boy, that's a lot. Yeah, it, wow. That's... Just buy a video card. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little cheaper in the long run, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't got a chance to play this one, uh, but I've heard you know this is a Capcom title, and and I've heard that Capcom has had several PC releases in recent months that have been excellent. Good ports, good performance, all the options, field of view options, and all that you needed, and widescreen support, ultra widescreen, I should say. Uh, so Capcom, after a rough patch there for a while, seems to be uh, hitting a few home runs recently. Well, and I mean, I'm pretty sure that even with all their weird numbering schemes, there's about 89 Resident Evils out, and this is usually the one people refer to when they're talking about the pinnacle of the series. Yeah. So good, a good title to pick up. Uh, and it looks like Sebastian has found something he wants to share with us. I have. Us. Well, Josh mentioned boot. Is it boot and, or maximum uh, PC? Well, I have a number of these, but I have some. Oh, uh, nice. As I slam into the microphone, some boot here. If you're watching the video live stream, you see me holding up a collection of these CD ROMs and these cardboard sleeves. And I don't have, I don't see the one that features Resident Evil. Is that what you're talking about, Josh? Which game? Yes. Was the demo. Okay. But I do oh, see. Lustomatic. You can see the Lustomatic. Uh, uh, pick the sexiest PC gear of the year with the insatiable Lustomatic, the high tech intelligent agent that tells you what to buy and why. So, what this actually has on it is a bunch of, they call them dishy demos. Apparently, they have a sense of humor at bootnet.com and uh, age of empires close combat Two: a bridge too far conquest earth screensaver diablo dark colony dark earth dungeon keeper hexen 2 internet board games jedi knight joint strike fighter mdk need for speed 2 se rocket jockey shadow of the empire shipwreckers terracide pro pinball time shock and more megabytes megabytes of can't live without it utilities in this month's workbench built with shockwave flash Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's got the Macromedia logo on the back. This is very sad. Oh, wait. This is Mac. Oh, this is the Maximum Seed. It's not even boot yet. No. This is the. Never mind. That was the preceding the earliest. No, this was. uh, Let me see if I can't find it. Because I think my old, unfortunately, my oldest boot disc is number 14. Panzer General 2, Outpost 2, Lords of the Realm, Siege, Fallout, Dark mm. Colony, X-Car, Experimental, Experimental Racing 3D effects. Wow. But yeah, number 14 was the uh, earliest one that I had. And it wasn't until, you know, then they turned into Max from PC. Oh, wait. On 15, it was, I guess it was just Resident Evil right there at the top. There oh, you go. Okay. Wasn't even RE2. So anyway, my bad. Wow. I have that one. I have a lot of the uh, 
I have a lot of the PC gamer demos. Oh. As I drop Phantasmagoria against the microphone. Ugh. So yeah, my pick is uh, old, semi-useless, nostalgic PC junk, such as the complete PC upgrade and maintenance seminar in a box. This is Mark Manassi's 5-CD-ROM, 2-VHS cassette seminar to teach you about uh, building, maintaining, understanding computer hardware technology, which uh, is a $99.99 value for just $24.98 on clearance, uh, probably, you know, 15 years ago somewhere. Oh, Jesus. You have to drop it. I mean, I, that was an accident. It's a piece of history. I just rolled with it. They built them stronger back then. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gone through a lot. I've still never opened it. This is a sealed box. One of our uh, live streams, I'm sure, this year will feature me uh-huh. unboxing the Mark Manassi uh, seminar to dozens of enthralled viewers. All right. Well, uh, thanks, folks, uh, for joining us this week. Uh, if you are watching live, we're going to uh, go off the air now so we can do that thing we can't talk about just yet. And uh, if you are listening on demand, you've already heard it. So we hope we hope we did a good job and <laughs> informed and entertained you. But uh, thanks for joining us. We record live normally Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. And now that we're on daylight savings time, that's 2 a.m. UTC. Uh, you can check us out at... Uh, pcpro.com slash subscribe to be notified. And I would say pcpro.com slash live. That doesn't work anymore because of our new system here, but we're redesigning the website that should launch. I think next month is the target for the launch. So we'll see. And we'll have a new way to easily get to our live stream. Otherwise just join us uh, at YouTube on our live page. There's a notification when we start streaming, but we hope you all had a great week. I hope you all have a great week to get to come and we will see you next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.